Have you ever wondered what the difference is between a PT and an OT? How about a nutritionist and a dietitian, or a physician assistant and a nurse practitioner? If so, you are not alone. Even those who work in healthcare may be unclear about some of the roles and responsibilities of various other industry professionals. It's why we created this podcast to discuss the similarities and the differences between certain healthcare professions as well as the misconceptions. Plus, how those professionals work together to care for patients. I'm Catherine Mazone, and you are listening to Healthcare Who Doesn't. On this episode, we talk to work besties, physical therapist Tara Pierce and occupational therapist Deke Cunningham. These two dig into each of their respective training programs. Coming up, they'll explain their roles in a three-part team, likening their partnership to passing the baton in a relay race, where the patient's well-being is the prize. Plus, what sets them apart and why. It's all coming up on this edition of Healthcare Who Does It. I'd like to introduce my two guests. Tara Pierce is a physical therapist, an associate professor, and the Department of Physical Therapy's Director of Clinical Education at UAB. Deke Cunningham is the Department of Occupational Therapy's Director of Clinical Education. He's also an assistant professor, an academic fieldwork coordinator, and, of course, a registered and licensed occupational therapist. Tell me a little bit about your background, if you wouldn't mind, Tara. I got a bachelor's degree in physical therapy. That used to be one of the the means by which you could enter our profession. I've gone on and gotten a master's and a doctor degree in health sciences and adult education. I came to UAB originally in 2007, started working clinically, and then came over and took an academic job. I moved away for a few years and then came back. And when I came back to UAB, Deke had started. I think Deke may have been in Birmingham longer than me. I'm from Spanish Fort, Alabama. I joined UAB faculty in 2011. I came in as an assistant professor then in 2013, I was approached to flip my role and take the clinical educator role. And so I did that. So I've been doing that since 13. And then Tara came back. In 2014. 2014. So Deke, I want to get an idea of what occupational therapy is all about. I want to give you the definition from our organization, our national organization, the American Occupational Therapy Association. And it says, occupational therapy intervention uses everyday life activities, otherwise known as occupations, to promote health, well-being, and your ability to participate in important activities of your life. If somebody's had a stroke, I may say, what, is, what do you need to get back to doing? What is meaningful to you? So any of those occupations such as dress, dressing, bathing, grooming, pet care, um, it could be getting back to their work, could be getting back to school, it could be social participation within their community, health management, medication management, all of those types of things are called occupations. So through adaptations and modifications if needed, we get the um, client to do those things as independently as possible.
So how long do you have to go to school to be an occupational therapist? Right now we are moving into a um, doctoral program. Summer of 2021, we accepted our first class, and that is eight um, semesters. You have to have a bachelor's already to come in, and then you um, go through the process of interviewing and getting accepted into the program, and then you go through eight semesters. There's five didactic semesters. The sixth and seventh semester is your fieldwork rotations, and then the eighth semester, they have to do a capstone experience. They have participated in lit reviews and needs assessment and all that throughout the didactic portion, and then they implement that in their eighth semester, and they graduate. Wow. That sounds like a lot of work. And you did say doctorate, right? Yes, doctorate of clinical education. Now, that's well, me. Doctorate, <laughs> doctorate of, of occupational, occupational therapy. therapy. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, so okay. we have a, a doctor of physical therapy program, mm-hmm. and students describe it as learning via fire hydrant. Hmm. And so I think in talking to the students that are in the OTD program, that they feel the same way. What does that mean? OTD or learning no. via fire hydrant. Yes, <laughs> the latter. Essentially, in both physical therapy and occupational therapy, we train students to graduate as a generalist. By the time they finish their, you know, essential three-year program, they need to be able to work in any practice setting with any age population. And so that's a lot to cover in a short duration of time. We don't waste time. Um, we make sure that everything is kind of scaffold or building off of each other so that there's a foundation that gets established in their first couple semesters and then we build on that with more clinical reasoning and clinical skills Uh, and then from there they polish all the academic content when they're in the clinic or um, doing a field work experience so that they're pulling it all together and gaining confidence in the knowledge skills and ability that they've developed over that two to three year process. So how does that program differ from the occupational therapy program as far as years and, and I guess, certifications, etc.? Both programs graduate a generalist that is capable of working with individuals of any age group from zero all the way through geriatrics. Um, the occupational therapy program is a doctoral program that's eight semesters in duration. The physical therapy program is a doctoral program that's nine semesters, so we have one more semester. Um, What is it? Well, I was just getting there. Okay. Just jumping a gun here. Um, So I was just going to breathe for a second. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, So essentially, uh, Deke students go out on three fieldwork experiences. That's where they're learning in the community. In physical therapy, our students go out on four. And so that extra semester is one more semester of them getting one more experience of putting together all the skills, knowledge, and abilities that they've developed in a different clinical practice setting. So they're very similar as far as training is concerned. Is that correct? Would you say that's correct? In the going from didactic to um, to practice to field work and clinical, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. And like as uh, Tara said, building upon one another you know, starting with that foundational knowledge and then getting into more higher level classes that second year to help with clinical reasoning and problem solving, and then putting it all together out in the clinic, I would say yes. So how are the two educational training-wise different? There's a lot of fundamental overlap between 
both physical therapy and occupational therapy. We both work with individuals of all ages. We both work in all practice settings. Deke's comment on the individual that's had a stroke. We both look at that individual that has had a stroke and we both want to get them back to doing all the things that they did prior to having a stroke, Mm -hmm. but we look at it with just a little bit different of a lens. So where Deke is working with them on being able to bathe and get dressed, I'm working with them on their ability to get in and out of the shower while they're working on the bathing. I'm working with them on how can they go to their closet to get their clothes and be able to carry those into the bathroom. So there is a lot of overlap, um, but there is also a lot of different areas of expertise in each of our disciplines where it's one of the the puzzle pieces of us working together so nicely is that we're all focused on the same long-term goal with the patient. Right. It sounds like you um, facilitate the strength necessary to carry out the occupations that the occupational therapist is working to bring Mm -hmm. back. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, there's other times that depending on the patient, and their endurance and tolerance. Um, they're like an acute care when somebody has had a stroke or a car wreck or something like that. They are very unstable that we may co-treat. We'll co-treat in rehab. There's a ton of times that we will co-treat, but we're looking at things in a different by a different lens. There's gonna be times that you may see PT and OT working with a patient at the same time, but we're looking at it with our different expertise. As they can tolerate more therapy, we mm-hmm. may separate and be able to give them more therapy. I would say that hand in hand, we we know pretty much what each other's doing. Absolutely. Research will show you that the best way to get some neuroplastic changes is to increase intensity. And that's a challenge in today's healthcare environment mm-hmm. with all the limitations. And so to me, that's I'm grateful that rehab consists of occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech language pathology because we are so used to working together collaboratively as a team that you know speech therapy will come and talk to me and say, hey, when you're working with this patient, I know you're gonna be focused on this, but could you incorporate some of the things that we were working on in our treatment session so that they can get additional practice time? Same with occupational therapy. I may go to Deke and say, hey, I was working with this gentleman and this is what I would love for you to incorporate in so that patients throughout working with all three disciplines together can really maximize the overlap of those while working on the uniqueness of each discipline. If I were a patient, say I come in and I've suffered a stroke and I'm looking to rehabilitate, when and how would I see you two working together? Pretty much from the moment you arrive. Um, Hi, we're, Deke and Tara. Yep. We work, we're going to work with you. You'll get, on that, on that first day, it will be each individual rehab discipline, OT, PT, and speech, coming individually to mm-hmm. work with the client. But we'll talk, and, and I'm usually very upfront with patients. You know, you're part of this team, too. And I'll explain, you know, I talked to the occupational therapist. This is what they told me add to that picture, paint more of that picture for me. When we finish with that first day, the patient and the rest of the therapists on the team have all come together to develop a comprehensive plan for what is the focus of rehabilitation. What are the goals that are conducive to that patient and and discussing from our different areas of expertise, 
what do we think is realistic now I always ask patients you know what is your goal for therapy for physical therapy and sometimes they tell me things like well I want to learn to play the piano and so I'll always start with well it's a good one did you play the piano before (laughs) and if they say yes I always go great I'll make sure the occupational therapist knows so that they can work with you on getting back the skills to be able to do that I would work with a patient in terms of getting back to playing piano on, you know, can you sit unsupported on a piano bench? Can you walk to the piano bench and be able to open it without loss of balance? Whatever the goals are for the patient, there's ways that we're all going to work with our lens of expertise to ensure that we can achieve those goals in a safe, realistic fashion. What are some of the key differences that set you two apart? I would say that physical therapy is more of an expert in terms of improving someone's gait, so their ability to move from point A to point B. And I guess I would say that if Tara got you to move from point A to point B and that point B was the piano bench, then I would work on the occupation of playing the piano. Like Tara said, what's that occupation that is meaningful to you? And then once we get to that point, of getting to the occupation once we have that endurance and balance and able to sit up on their own and things like that then we're going to move into more of the piano plane as the occupation but as we know if we don't have balance and coordination and endurance we're not going to be able to work on the occupation. It's a baton pass. To us, it's not necessarily that there's drastic differences between our two disciplines. It's the lens by which we pass that baton to make sure that the patient remains the center of our focus and improving that patient's quality of life. I'm glad that Tara keeps talking about speech language pathology too, because they are very much part of our team. If they were working with the patient on certain words and how to request things, I think that's very important if we were both working together with a patient that we would need to understand how they communicate as well. Again, all three of you work very closely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I would say that the fourth person on the team is the patient, and and they've got to be there. We work with individuals as well to try to prevent injuries from happening. It sounds like you know each other really well. Just a little. (laughs) (laughs) We've worked together for over a decade now. No Mm -hmm. kidding. Mm -hmm. We're both on faculty at UAB, and we are both the directors of clinical education. And so we are responsible for putting all of our students out on their different clinical rotations. We have 60 students a year per discipline. So like 120 total? Well, there's usually usually there there could be... 180 in one semester. I was going to say, in each graduating class for each department, there's typically 60 students. And for Deke and I, we definitely have a passion to try to expose our students to as many different variations on our professions as possible to just open up their minds in the different aspects of physical therapy and occupational therapy. Typically, students come into our disciplines kind of with a narrow focus of what physical therapy is or what occupational therapy is, and it's a delight for the two of us to sit and watch our students as they expand their knowledge base of what our different disciplines do and find the area of either occupational or 
or physical therapy that they're the most passionate about. Um, and we get to we get to have ringside seats for that. Tara and I work very well together. I will say that. Why do you think that is, Deke? I think it's because we both have the same passion mm-hmm. for wanting to see our students succeed. And we do a very nice job at pairing students up for their clinical rotations where we know that they will gain a great deal of education and be successful. And we both have that kind of goal. We have 60 students a year per discipline. So like 120 total? Well, there's usually there there could be 180 in one semester. I was going to say, in each graduating class for each department, there's typically 60 students. And for Deke and I, we definitely have a passion to try to expose our students to as many different variations on our professions as possible to just open up their minds in the different aspects of physical therapy and occupational therapy. Typically, students come into our disciplines kind of with a narrow focus of what physical therapy is or what occupational therapy is. And it's a delight for the two of us to sit and watch our students as they expand their knowledge base of what our different disciplines do and find the area of either occupational or or physical therapy that they're the most passionate about. Um, And we we get to have ringside seats for that. Do you often see students perhaps changing disciplines, like saying, oh, wow, those physical therapists are having a better time, or, man, occupational therapy seems like it would be a much better fit for me? Typically, no, but we really? definitely see students that realize, you know, in, in the world of physical therapy, a lot of students come in thinking that they want to do sports medicine, and mm-hmm. instead they end up <laughs> finding other practice settings or other patient populations such as pediatrics or adult neurology that they realize that that's truly where their passion lies. It's just they had a narrow focus of of where physical therapy was practiced or the patient population when they came into school. And I would agree with that because I see a lot of people coming in that um, say that they want to work in one setting. So like pediatric school system, um, hand therapy. Both PT and OT work in all these places, skilled nursing facility, acute care, rehab hospitals, outpatient neuro, outpatient adults, outpatient pediatrics. So there's not one setting that I can truly think of that we would not cross each other's path. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest misconceptions of our students that feel that they are going to come in and be a pediatric occupational therapist or a certified hand therapist. And that's further from the truth um, because we are here to create entry-level generalists. So we hit all of those settings and all of those practices, both for OT and PT, because they have to pass a national registry exam for a generalist. And like Tara just said, too, we get that ringside seat to to watch them grow, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. They can, sometimes they come in and think they want to be pediatrics, and then they go out into a pediatric rotation and say, I don't ever want to do peds again. So it's good to watch them grow, and it's also good to watch them look at those different types of goals that they may want to reach after graduation, which sure. could be a pediatric therapist, a certified hand therapist, et cetera. 
the opportunities out there are endless for both of us, for both disciplines. For an occupational therapist, you can move into the inpatient psychiatric unit and work with occupations of people that are um, in the inpatient mental health unit. You can um, become specialized in low vision rehabilitation. You can be specialized in a certified hand therapist. There's opportunities many of our uh, graduates take part in and get out of the truly entry-level generalist role and become more certified and specialist. Not to say that I wouldn't see a PT or physical therapist in those categories because I've worked in an inpatient mental health unit before and for exercise and endurance with people will bring up the physical therapist, but less than you would as an entry-level generalist. I think the unique thing about both of our professions compared to other healthcare disciplines is because we graduate an entry-level generalist. Right now, after the pandemic, there have been a lot of individuals that have just said, I love my profession, but I just feel burnt out. And so they're retaining the discipline that they've been trained for, either occupational therapy or physical therapy, but by merely switching practice settings or age population, it rejuvenates them and gets them passionate about their profession again. I know individuals in other healthcare careers that have that same level of burnout and are just saying, I don't have any other path. I did you know, four years of training, I've done a specialty certification after that, and this is it. This is the only thing I'm trained to do. And so I think that's one of the unique things about our professions is because the licensure, because the degree is a generalist degree, you can always pivot and and gain expertise in a different practice area of our disciplines. I would agree 100%. We hear that a lot of people will go some, you know, seven to 10 years. Usually it's about seven and they'll say, I've done rehabilitation, inpatient rehab, and now I think I want to move into a school system. And they're able to do that. I'm curious as to whether there were ever any challenges to working together. I will say no. Um, Occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech language pathology work collaboratively all the time together. We have two different departments within the same school here at UAB. However, we all work together so closely and want to integrate things for our students so that they truly appreciate while we're different, we still look at how can we maximize the quality of life for our patients and clients that we're working with. There are times where with limitations to a patient's insurance, they may not be able to get the benefit of both disciplines. So all the rehab professionals, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, we all want to do whatever we can to make life as beneficial as possible for the individuals that we're working with. When we started working together, it was a natural fit on we want to role model to our students what we want them to grow up and and do. I agree 100%. We haven't had any conflicts or like we just work very well together. But I will say that, um, Uh no, (laughs) I will say that I think it's not only working well together, but supporting one another because Mm -hmm. we are each other's sounding board. And there are some frustrating times within this profession of academics and getting people placed. So there's many closed door meetings that we can help each other out because everybody needs that person that they can vent to. So I think 
it's not a conflict. I would say that we're each other's support on Mm -hmm. many, many levels. Absolutely. Very cool. What else haven't I asked you, Tara or Deke, that you think is important for me to include? Since we're talking so much about occupational therapy and physical therapy working together, and you can piggyback on this if you agree, one of the misconceptions I cannot stand Mm, is when people say, oh, OT will work on the upper half and and PT will work on the lower body. And I always tell people, PT knows what to do with upper body stuff and OT knows what to do with lower body stuff. Again, going back to that example of playing the piano, if they needed to walk across the um, floor with a walker and PT can't use their upper body, then we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And then if I can't use the lower body to play the piano with the pedals, I'm in trouble. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is, oh, don't, PT should not touch the upper body and mm-hmm. OT should not touch the lower body because and that's just ridiculous. I think that that's <laughs> a very common misconception. I think the other one too is um, often I hear from, from physicians that will see us working together and make the assumption that we shouldn't work together because we're a different discipline. Um, And so I think that that's the other one is the whole shock almost of, oh, you guys do work so well together. Like, of course we do, because we're in this for the patients and clients that we serve and and truly making that kind of an impact. And so there is going to be overlap. It's not going to be just a, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that problem because that's in your upper body. And so too bad, so sad. We view things very globally, but then we can focus very specifically as needed. What are the letters behind your names? When I sign my name, I have um, MS, which is Master's of Science. That was my highest degree of occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. And then OTR slash L, that's registered occupational therapy and licensed. The R is registered. You have to pass a national exam to become registered. And you cannot become licensed until you're a registered occupational therapist. Once I pass the exam, then I can apply for licensure within any of the 50 states, but they are all different. Wow. Yeah. Right now we're looking at some compact contracts that go across different states that is coming through and Alabama is one of them. And I'm just giving an example. I do not know the details of it, but if Alabama and Mississippi were involved with the compact, then instead of me going to Mississippi to get that license, they will look at me having an Alabama license and I can work in Mississippi. Hmm. And I think what made that happen, I feel, was the pandemic and telehealth with understanding that you can reach more people across the state lines in different areas that may not have OT or PT. But with telehealth, you just can't do it without having that license in that state. So I think this is going to be able to bridge that gap. That raises similar questions for you, Terry. So physical therapy also has a compact licensure option. Ours actually started well before the pandemic as more of a mechanism for individuals that are spouses or family of the military because they move around so much. In addition, there have been various 
peaks and valleys in our profession where there's been a supply demand issue. So we have what's known as travel therapy positions where you may go and work for 13 weeks to cover a maternity leave or a medical leave. That short-term temporary licensure is something that may take three to six months to achieve in an individual state. And so having compact privileges in the states that have adopted it, I have a home state that I'm licensed with. And as long as I retain my licensure in that state and I've applied for compact privileges, I can work in the other states that have the compact. In Alabama, physical therapy is slowly working towards compact privileges as well. And ours, from a physical therapy perspective, is due to the military. What comes after your name, Tara? I'm not a big fan of lots of fancy stuff, so I go simple. I'm PT. I'm a licensed physical therapist, very similar to the OTR slash L. And then I just do my highest academic degree, which is a doctor of health science. So I'm PT, DHS. Well, this has been really fascinating. Thank you both so much, Deke Cunningham and Tara Pierce, for having a chat with us. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Absolutely. This podcast is brought to you by the 2022 Interprofessional Leadership Fellows with the Center for Interprofessional Education and Simulation at the University of Alabama at Birmingham in association with the Department of Family and Community Medicine at UAB's Marnix E. Hearsing School of Medicine. Music and effects provided by YouTube Studios Audio Library and Pixabay.com. Until next time, this is Catherine Mazone with Healthcare Who Does It. Thanks for listening. Thank you.